Hello and welcome to another episode of Fungibility with your host Ruve. It's a another week in the NFT world. Lots of lots of ups, lots of downs. Uh, one of the big stories that broke earlier this week was a phishing exploit for OpenSea. Uh, give or take 1.7 million dollars worth of NFTs were stolen through uh, what looks to be a phishing exploit where there was a crafted email that was sent to some folks and it looked like it was sent from OpenSea and it really wasn't. So a little unfortunate. I think last I checked, they were updating some of their smart contracts to avoid it. So if anyone's listening and has an OpenSea account, you might want to go over to Etherscan and, and take a look at what various dApps you've enabled and remove anything that looks a little suspicious. Um, other news, you know, the crypto world has been on a bit of a winter escapade. Um, the 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 summer of the bulls has ended. We are now pretty clearly in a winter. Let's hope this winter is short lived. While I'm on the topic of the OpenSea hack, it looks like the site Mintable was able to recover three of the NFTs that were stolen, which is interesting. Also speaks to uh, the, I don't know, the ability to recover NFTs, I suppose. And uh, it's a little interesting. I'm not sure exactly how they did it, but they uh, claim to have been able to re recover it. Um, basically, the quote from uh, Zach Burks over at Mintable, he says, if, if OpenSea isn't going to make it right. Someone has to. Well, I guess he did. For some of these people, all their net worth is tied up in their NFTs, and it's horrible to have them stolen. Well, that that is the understatement of the century. Uh, although it was initially reported to be an exploit, OpenSea CEO Devin Fincer subsequently tweeted that the users had fallen victim to a phishing attack. So it, they're saying it didn't it originate with them. And I think that goes to show that you should always be careful when accepting or clicking on that dap that you think is secure just do your homework make sure your url is what you think it is and the application is is the authentic place our guest today is david minor uh a guy that i've heard a lot about over the last couple of weeks and he's met with um, you know my wife and he's met with a number of other the colleagues in the company and everyone's like you gotta talk to david he's he's the most interesting person you're you're gonna meet and so i had to do it had to get david on the show david welcome Thank you so much, Ruben. Such a pleasure to be here. So before we, we start recording, we have a little chit chat. Turns out you're, you're <laughs> from Italy. I, I've got a Swiss background where we're, we're sort of cousins uh, sort of thing going on. And where, where, are you, where are you based now? You're, you're in California? I'm between uh, Copenhagen, Berlin and Los Angeles. OK, so you are an international man of mystery. So yeah, that's, <laughs> that's, uh, yeah that, that, that's quite the uh, collection of locations. So like, do you spend your time more in one location than another or you just kind of bounce around? Um, yeah, I bounce around. I have a base in Berlin, one in Copenhagen and a lot of family in California. Um, but I've, I've uh, re recently uh, found myself happily stranded in California during the pandemic. I was in uh, Oslo, Copenhagen and a bunch of other places before this for the past 17 years. Okay. Yeah, I, you know, I, I'm a big fan of both Ber Berlin and Copenhagen. I love the brutalism of Berlin and I love mm. the colors of Co Copenhagen. So <laughs> I, I, I can't say I'm a huge fan of L.A., but uh, the other two are great. L.A. is basically New York spread over too much toast. Yeah, yeah, it's 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 like, yeah, it's a, it's I don't know what it is. It's definitely spread out too too much. And there there are spots in L.A. If you know where to look that are great. 
but you could get stuck in the valley and, and just mm. want to die. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I call it hell A. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. So, so yeah, it's I think it's a pretty accurate description. <laughs> so you're you're in you're an artist, as far as I can tell. You're heavily involved in a lot of the different sort of NFT meets art meets, you know, t- tell us tell us a little bit about, about your background. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I, I grew up in uh, the Palo Alto Children's Theater in Palo Alto um, and was introduced to a lot of the arts there. Um, I went on to become a ballerina. I danced the Joffrey uh, Ballet Ensemble in New York um, and then got t- got quickly tired of that, although they're wonderful. I, I had too many interests. So I, I went to Berlin to sort of, uh, um, you know, my uh, sojourn or Zenzuch, as the Germans call it. And I learned a bunch of languages and uh, tried out all these different uh, professions. So I, um, I guess I'm a trained composer. I went to school for linguistics as well. I speak a number of languages pretty mediocrely. Um, what else? I've opened some Waldorf schools in China, um, co-founded a theater in Berlin, immersive theater called the Carmen Neue with a, three, a seven level labyrinth um, and just many, many things like that. I've done robot ballets with Stanford and. Uh, Last Mile Robotics, Heather Knight, some incredible people. And um, I just like, I like exploring the spaces of um, like liminal spaces and cross-pollinating. And recently, um, <clears throat> about a year and a half ago, I was asked to compose um, uh, music for a video game because I have a, a company that does sonic branding called Elf Juice. And um, yes, yeah, so I was doing I was doing music for a video game and they said, oh, it's a blockchain video game. I said, what's that? I said, it's, it has in-game assets. Oh, wonderful what are these assets called nfts and so i got pulled into this world and i been swimming around in it ever since and and uh, was given the title uh, director of creative partnerships for um a company at cosmos on the cosmos chain and have since been working with brands and artists and uh different niche communities and museums and whatnot to sort of ideate deploy and create really, really obscure and beautiful NFT concepts, including physical to digital protocols, which is the area that I really, really feel very warm and close to. Well, the physical to digital is a recurring conversation on this podcast. And the (laughs) intersection of the physical and the metaverse is, I think, a a, a huge opportunity and, and something that, you know, I think that we're actively doing as part of this podcast in itself. But Tell us a little bit sort of about your vision of this kind of intersection. Oh, boy. Um, <clears throat> where to begin? I think that there is just there's this tangible, visceral connection that humans have. We, we use, you know, I, I always say my brain is in my body as a dancer. So I think with my instincts and, you know, you can sense when somebody's standing behind you and whatnot. And we all, we're all really good at spatial reasoning. And, to you know, the metaverse is great and I'm all for it. I think there's a lot of positive applications um, and, and the way it's going to evolve and devolve, of course. Um, however, in, at this present moment, during what we're all calling the digital, digital and physical renaissance, you know, we're, we're given this extraordinary technology that's essentially going to become invisible and power all of these experiences. So I love the idea of leveraging blockchain technology in a very discreet way to imbue everyday objects that we already know and have a fluent and loving relationship to um, and, and imbue that those objects with new meaning and capabilities. For example, um, I worked with uh, Tommaso Albertini, who's Sotheby's called uh, The Rising Centuries, 
uh, the rising master of the century in a sculptural painting. He's just an extraordinary human being. And he said, Davide, will you, uh, will you compose some music for my paintings? And I said, oh my God, I, with honor. So I composed uh, three individual pieces. We embedded the pieces into his works as NFTs with little chips. And so the audience will walk up to the painting and uh, they'll touch their phone to it or put headphones on and they can listen to the NFT, which is married to that physical object. I did the same thing with Chanel Gibbons, an incredible sustainable designer based out of LA. And, and the audience loved it. So a woman wearing a dress has a piece of music that's inside of the dress and it's married to that. And thus it cannot be replicated. And to experience the music, you have to also be near the person wearing the dress. And th this is a very simple uh, use case, which can easily with that chip, with the NFT technologies and the programmability of NFTs, um, which is an incredible topic, which I could talk about for days. Um, I think brands and artists and theaters and, uh, and everyone's just gonna be benefiting from that in incredible ways in the next few years. It's interesting, you're, what you're describing to me sounds like the intersection of an NFT, non-fungible token, combined with an NFC, near field communication, right? Where you can be in proximity to something and get that like on your phone or whatever. Anyone's ever tapped their credit card has been, is using N NFC. And so what it sounds like what you're doing is kind of like that, where you're sort of have like this proximity to a piece of clothing or art or something. Precisely. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah. And I, 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 I love that. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And, and that's, so there, there's always, you know, we, we do these events. I think you might be at that we're, we're doing in LA uh, next week. And one of the things we do is visual, right? So we have this QR code that, that gets shown at the event and you can sort of take a picture of it or whatever on your phone. And that opens up the app and you can get rewarded as you're sort of participating in an event. But what's interesting, one of the things that we were looking at, you know, a little, probably about a month ago was like embedding like a little NFC near field communications, I'm pretty sure that's the acronym, into mm -hmm. like a card and you could like tap it and, and my sales guy could go and, and say, hey, look at, look at our app kind of thing. And mm -hmm. you're, you're taking that like, I, I'm like basically using it as a kind of uh, lack of a better term sales gimmick, but you're taking it a step further and saying, you know, there's information that exists beyond what is visible. Like here's oh, yeah. the, the <laughs> data that, that exists that you can't see and you just need to be nearby. Absolutely. And, and to add to that, um, you know, brands are coming to me and Elf Juice now and they're saying, okay, what's the next step? What can we do? How can we be inventive with this simple NFC technology? And there are myriad, if not infinite use cases that are going to re-energize brands, user experiences, theater, you know, theater experiences, et cetera, et cetera. Every aspect of life that you may look at and think of as mundane will suddenly have new colors and elf juices, <laughs> uh, you know, attach them because of this, this marriage of these two technologies. Um, and, and there are gonna be so many opportunities for artists and, and the corporate sector to finally intersect in a way that we will no longer be separated as these two separate entities in this neo sort of, uh, you know, um, what, what, what do I call it, not colonialist uh, sort of, um, kick. I think it's capitalist, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah. It, you know, it's, it's like everything we do needs to be mined for as much possible revenue as possible. Hey, did mm -hmm. you go to the bathroom? How long did you spend in the bathroom? Well, now that's some data that I can sell. <laughs> and, and I think what you're saying is, is like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an opportunity beyond that. You know, I think it's a pullback from sort of that overt capitalism that, that dictates yep. almost all parts of our life right now.
And, you know, you go back to the Da Vinci era when, you know, an artist was an engineer, was a doctor, was everything, right? And an architect. And nowadays we've been separated into these odd categories and we don't really intersect anymore or chat with each other. And there's, there's a disconnect. And, and I think because of the, the, the applications of these technologies, we will finally start to glue ourselves back together into these beautiful amalgams or, or a full gestalt instead of the separate pieces making up greater whole will we'll, we'll unite all of these sectors. And I think we're going to have just a hyper acceleration of ideas and technologies and art forms coming out of this and things that we don't even have a vernacular or canon for yet. Yeah, and I, I, I'm completely in, in sort of a line. When you, as, as a human, you have a very narrow sort of spectrum that you can see. You know, we, I, I can see some color, but beyond that, that spectrum, I don't, I don't see anything. And what for me, this, the, the metaverse, if you want to just refer to it as that, represents, it, it doesn't represent, I think, what Facebook and these other kind of companies, you know, it's a three-dimensional world. I don't, I'm not particularly excited by that. What I'm excited by is this idea of a kind of augmented reality where I have the ability to see those other things that I wasn't able to see, experience the things that I was never able to experience and mm-hmm. enjoy, enjoy things in a, new, in, a, in a fundamentally new way. And I think that if I'm interpreting you correctly, that's kind of what, what you're describing here. Absolutely, sir. Yeah. Um, the idea that, you know, next week I'll be walking down the street and, you know, um, instead of Pokemon Go, I can take out my phone and there's an ugly wall that suddenly has an AR layer. And I can look at a dance, a dance performance done by the Royal Danish Opera or a, a series of collectibles that are in AR form or VR form even. And then I can reach out, touch it, you know, purchase that NFT, sell it or, you know, trade it or hold on to it. And, it, and suddenly the world has all these new layers of, of meaning. Yeah, that's, you know, and it, it's beyond that silly pink wall they have in L.A. there. You know, it, it you know, I, I, mm-hmm. com- I completely agree. You know, so you're you run the gamut from sort of, you know, various types of art. You know, you, you've described sort of the physical forms of art with ballet. You know, I'm looking at your portfolio and you've mentioned music. You know, you're, you're definitely, mm-hmm. I guess, what you call a renaissance man. You can do lots of things. And, and I think a lot of folks are creators like you know like to create things i think myself included i you know when i program i see i see art in the programming much the same way if i'm painting in procreate on my ipad right it's layered it's 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 a discovery process and everyone's like how do you create that well i kind of <laughs> i didn't really think what i was going to create it kind of popped out and and the funny thing is about creation whether it's my you know my guitar whether it's my my, my procreate on my ipad or this startup where I'm building an application, the, the journey is like half the entertainment. Like you don't necessarily have, <laughs> you get the general destination, but you know, what it ends up being is always a bit of a surprise, but that's the best part. Mm-hmm. So, so let's talk about your creative process. Like, how do you look at creativity? <laughs> Actually quite similar to what you just described. Um, I, I think I have a lot of, like, I personally have a lot of different methodologies um, conventional and unconventional. Um, I, I, I really like to think in very fragmented ways and in tangents, um, be they, you know, with a paintbrush or typing or um, choreographing at a, at a club just for fun and at eight in the morning in Berlin, and then taking these pieces later and soberly and, and putting them on an idea board and editing them into something. So kind of puzzling together what was once chaos into you know, meaningful play as I call it. And, but 
you know, I, I love to observe other people's creative processes as well and, um, and draw from that. Um, yeah. How, how about yourself? <laughs> you know, I, yeah, it's, it's funny. Cause I, I, I sound, you sound like a kindred spirit to me. Like <laughs> when I look at, at the way I create, I, you know, I, I love to paint. I love to create music. I love to program. I, you know, I, there's these, the, I think my secret weapon has always been the fact that I can kind of use both sides of my brain, right? Mm. I'm just as comfortable in an analytical situation as I am, you know, creating a visual <laughs> medium as I'm programming a blockchain, right? And mm -hmm. I, and I'm, and there's no, I, I was lucky enough to be very early in my career to realize the only limit was basically the only limits I placed on myself. And once I, realized that there were no limits, I could do whatever I wanted. So the first thing I did when early in my, you know, my parents gave me some money for university, I started a startup and it failed miserably. But you know what? <laughs> you know, that, I, I still look, look back at that startup as, as the best thing that ever happened to me. And it's always been a sort of creative process. So when you look at like this startup for me, you know, it's NFT focused, it's like a combination of all the things I'm, I'm excited by, I'm into, and the kind of confluence of opportunities and experience uh, that you get after years of doing this sort of thing. So it's, uh, you know, I'm all about the creation. I don't know. I, I love that. And it goes into something that I've been working on a lot. Um, and many, many people have been over the past few years. And it's uh, just the combination of art and tech and the intersections of the two. And, you know, like I worked on some robot ballets, like I said, with Heather Knight and others. And it's just been an incredible process where, they come, the, these incredible minds, I think of engineers as artists, I always have. Um, and, and I think a lot of them, if, you know, if they were, they want to be artists, but they're afraid of jumping into that for, for a, a number of existential uh, reasons. And vice versa, a lot of artists have engineering minds, but never, you know, um, acquired the proper uh, training. So, they're, they're, so by creating these You know, I've done the same now with NFTs, where I I have a I have a pretty you know mediocre, if not conversational now, grasp of blockchain technologies and the many possible ways of using them. But I still respect you know the heck out of the engineers I talk to. So I've partnered, you know, Elf Juice and I have partnered with uh, some wonderful developer studios so that we can kind of complete each other's visions and dreams. And I, I just love the coupling and marriage of uh, you know different cross-pollinated art forms. You know, I, I think what you're describing is this idea that that you know that you have to fit within a box mm -hmm. you are an engineer therefore you're not creative you're an artist and therefore you have to have this particular sort of style right and if you mm -hmm. deviate from that style your art will never sell because you have no a uh, uh, you don't have a signature style now you look at my you know instagram at ruv if anyone's interested and the art that i do there you'll see that i'm all over the freaking map and i'm all over the map because I love to try new things. I don't really care that I'm 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 not, you know, a I don't have a signature <laughs> style. All I know is I love to create stuff, right? So mm -hmm. I, I think what you're describing is this need for society to put you in a box. Mm -hmm. Right. Exactly. And I I think the way that infrastructure is designed and all of its sometimes glory, it often is very limiting and it forces people to shut down their potential and become unwillingly myopic. And I'm I, I'm guilty of such as well. And I, I, and I really hope that, you know, people can stop calling themselves just one thing and allow themselves to become Renaissance men and women again, or people. Um, I, you know, I, I've always considered myself a jack of all trades and a master of none. And that's what I'm good at is being mediocre at a bunch of things. And then I go and talk to the masters like yourself and we, and we collaborate and find ways of fine tuning things. 
Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm a, I'm a jack of all trades, master of none as well. Like I, I I'm, I'm a good, I'm, I'm good at self-promotion, which is, you know, a, a nice added uh, sort of tangent, but you're Here right. we are you on know, a podcast we, together. Yes. Yeah, yeah exactly. I'm, I'm, I'm I'm a a kindred spirits, you and I, like you said. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I spent, I spent my days, you know, sort of subtly talking about what I do without overtly trying to do it. Right. And, and it's, you know, it, it's, it's fun. I, you know, but what, you know, back to the podcast while we're on the topic, what I love about this podcast, other than the self-promotion, is the fact that you know I can meet and have interesting discussions. And these discussions sort of open my view of different sort of perspectives, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, and and sort of talking to you or whoever I might talk to tomorrow, it's always something new. And I can dig into your sort of view of the world and understand things that I may not have sort of thought of. And that's that's really exciting to me. And and back to your Renaissance comment, I think. The idea of a Renaissance person, like if you think of like Leonardo da Vinci or whatever, there was this sort of zest to 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 learn new things, right? Mm-hmm. And to experience new things. And I think the most the most interesting and creative people have that sort of ability to to, to always question and and then secondly learn, right? That creates opportunity. Absolutely, and and, and you know to be in societies um, in past or present. Uh, which celebrated diversity um, is, you know, it's just, it, it's just such a glorious thing. Yeah. And well, if you, and if you look back to like the, the Renaissance period, that, that was an interesting time in the sense that they sort of emerged from this sort of dark period, dark ages, I guess you'd call it, mm-hmm. where they, there was this sort of lack of sort of creativity. Everyone sort of hunkered down and did the things that, you know, were important to survive through, you know, their version of a pandemic, which is probably way worse than ours. But, Mm -hmm. and then suddenly there was this sort of, you know, explosion of creativity and opportunity and knowledge that that came from that sort of period. And if you look at where we're going, we've been in this information age where we're, and we're just cracking this sort of, you know, opportunity for what the information age really means. Right. And Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we're going into, what would be described as the next renaissance and we haven't seen anything yet precisely and to, to add to that um or or yeah it's you know a colleague of mine um put it so beautifully i wish i could do it verbatim but um he was basically saying that you know like like that um you know we just like in the renaissance for coming out of a plague um and a dark age of information and we can look at you know uh, web one and two as the dark age of centralized information and servers and suddenly the decentralization of that and access to information and creator tools so that anyone can become something that they, that they, uh, that they dream of um, versus the clergy holding on to all the information in, in the light, you know, <laughs> it's like we, we've had like a modern day clergy um, in the tech world, especially um, that, <clears throat> that has structured society in such a way that information is, uh, is inaccessible. But um, I, yeah, I'm sort of babbling now, but <laughs> no, yeah, I know. If, if if this is to follow on your clergy idea, you know, you've got you know essentially a few key gateholders to all our information. You've got right. let's just point out Google, you got Microsoft, you got you know Amazon, and and a few other giant companies that controls you know maybe through overt or secretive fashions most parts of our life. And if you look at things like what have happened in sort of the polarization of politics over the last few years mm-hmm. those th- that's inherently part of a sort of 
lack of transparency into the underlying algorithms that control our life. And I don't, mm -hmm. I'm not looking to start any kind of crazy conspiracy theories. <laughs> I, I, I actually think that that is a, a, a sort of byproduct of not fully understanding the black box that exists within the context of AI and the algorithms that control it. It's like trial and error. Oh, but the, the trial and error is humanity. That's right. And, and I think that the, the omission of information, which is so strategically done, not to get conspiratorial here, um, is, a, is a brilliant way to control people um, and, and uh, keep them sort of, you know, give them no upward mobility. And suddenly, if people have access to information and tools and, and methods to learn things, they gain the power back and we, we, we can ditch this neo-feudalist model that has sort of started to take shape in the world. Yeah, it's, it's, and, you, and when you apply that to sort of the, the, the economics of the world order, money and, and currency, <laughs> you, you start seeing why there's sort of this pushback around things like Web3 and crypto and tokenization. You know, the, the reason, in my opinion, why places like Texas don't allow you to buy crypto pretty much you know, is, is control, right? It, if you control the monetary aspects of life, you kind of control the, the everything else that goes along with it in, in a capitalist society. So it'll be interesting to see where this all leads. <laughs> all right. So where can I, I we're, that went by really quickly. So where can our, our user, our listeners, just learn more about you and, and follow you on social media and where, sure, wherever you hang sure. out in the metaverse. Absolutely. Um, here we go. Some ruthless self-promotion. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, my company is uh, elfjuice.com and you can hear some of my music and see the ballets and operas I've composed at uh, davidminormusic.com, M-I-N-O-R. And my um, Instagram is David Enyo. Uh, Twitter is Elf Juice Labs. Well, David, I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today. And as all our listeners hopefully know by this point, if you're interested in learning more about David, you can go to fungibility.co. You'll see the widget on the website. You'll see this week's episode and you'll have links to his various social media, maybe a little, uh, you know, some other little data in there as well. They can get some points and you'll be able to grab the this week's podcast as an NFT. As always, Appreciate the time to take and listen to our podcast. I'm your host, Ruve, and this is Fungibility. <laughs>